This week's Winefellers is brought to you by the National Alliance of Wine Growers and Distributors. Have you had your two glasses of wine today? The Stool Stool, improving your bathroom posture since 2015. The Stool Stool, we're number two. And River of Life Lutheran Church. Sunday services come once a week. How often do you? Welcome to this week's episode of The Winefellers, right here on WHUPLP, Hillsboro, North Carolina. I'm Joe, co-founder of TrueBottle.com, your professional source for wine auction prices, and my good feller Mark here, fine wine auction director with Leland Little Auctions. And together, we are the On this week's most exciting episode of The Wine Fellers, we will meet two very, very special guests. In just a few short moments, we will be speaking with Jennifer Simonetti Bryan, the fourth woman among only 40 or so men and women in the United States to ever attain the international title Master of Wine, the world's highest, most prestigious wine title. That's going to be pretty cool. But the fun does not end there. Oh, no. Because during the second half of this week's show, we will meet Gerald Casali, childhood hero of my good feller, Mark, right here, and who you will know from the band Devo. It turns out that Gerald has a taste for Pinot Noirs and owns a new wine brand, the 50 by 50. So stick around. You won't want to miss this, but first, Mark, I'm so excited to get this epic show off to a great start with this week's wine testing. But now, my favorite segment of the week, your good fellers, Mark and Joe, explore the exciting world of tasting and pairing wine. And remember, we're always on the lookout for suggestions from you. So let's pop the cork right now on this week's episode of The Wine Fellers. Hey, Joe. How you doing today? Oh, Mark. I'm doing just wonderfully. Yourself? Often I say that uh, this is going to be our most exciting best show yet, but I think it could really be this time because we have two wonderful guests. Uh, we oh, have, I know. 
uh, we have uh, uh, Jennifer Simonetti Bryan, who is the uh, Master of Wine, and uh, very uh, rare to attain that level of uh, wine knowledge, and she'll impart some knowledge with us. Oh, it's crazy, man. And then after that, we're going to have Jerry Casali, who... Uh, of Devo, one of my uh, truly <laughs> one of my heroes growing up, he truly was. I mean, uh, th- that was the band that I followed. I thought they knew everything about the world that could possibly uh, be told. Well, and and that may be true, Mark. Well. We'll find out. <laughs> so in honor of our two special guests, today we just corked a, un- uncorked a 1997 Yeah, thank you. Chevrolet. Sure. We're trying to go with getting the wine out of the bottle, not into it. That's right. We uncorked a 1997 Chevrolet Chambertin Pierre Jelan. It's a beautiful wine, red berry, fruit nose, and, uh, and if you're playing along at home, open up yours. Yeah, and so this is cool. You chose this wine today, obviously, uh, because we're going to have your childhood hero, mm-hmm. <clears throat> Jerry, on here later. That's right. Talking about... Yeah, he's gotten into Pinot Noirs. That's right. Uh, we'll find out about how uh, how it's going with him and his new wine label. And so when we're drinking this Pinot Noir right now, mm-hmm. what am I looking for in it, Mark? Well, in this one, I have a nice little red berry fruit nose, and uh, it's just uh, it's a really it's a beautiful wine. Uh, it'll have a chance to open up more as the show goes on. It's a nice example of Pinot Noir. Um, you know, it's like a $50 range, which is actually uh, cheap when it comes to mm. Pinot no- uh, Burgundy, French Burgundy, Pinot Noir range. But uh, I think it's a, it's a very nice wine. It is uh, incredibly good. I'm tasting here. There's, But it's got this sort of sour apple flavor in there. Mm-hmm. And it's, um, as you said, as the show's going on, it's opening up more and more. Yeah, that's right. And But, Mark, you know, I've got to talk about just the elephant in the room right now. All right. We're not here to drink this bottle of Pinot Noir. We're here because we have these two incredible guests on the show, mm-hmm. and you came to me right. uh, last week That's right. and, and told me, you're, you're never going to believe who I got for the show. Right. Now, it, you said you, you sent uh, Jerry a picture of yourself in, in an outfit. That's right. If you go to our uh, Twitter, <laughs> uh, you uh, you can see me dressed in my yellow radiation suit, and it's an original yellow radiation suit from 19, <laughs> I would say, 1982, 83, Perfect. something like that. And uh, that was back when you could order a yellow radiation suit off the uh, jacket cover of the album. Sure, right. And so I did that, me and a friend. And, and actually, because of this, Gerald Casale is responsible, and I hope he owns up to this, he is responsible for my first and only school suspension. Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> what did you do? Well, what happened was, is a friend and I ordered a yellow radiation suit from the jacket cover. Oh, and this it, is going to be bad. And it, and it came, uh, uh, we got ours the same day, and uh, we already had our red energy dome. If, for those of you who don't know, the red energy dome is the upside down flower pot looking thing, but it's not. Sure. A, it's obviously not a flower pot, but just so you know what it is. And so I had that, I had the uh, energy dome, and I decided... Uh, I guess I was like in seventh grade or something like that. I decided. That sounds about right. It sounds about right. I was going, my friend and I were going to wear <laughs> our Devo oh, outfit to school. Boy. And we were going to be <laughs> the coolest kids in school ever. So I uh, put on the yellow radiation suit. And it, I mean, it, this thing is a bright yellow <laughs> it is, radiation yeah. suit. It's about 150 degrees in there. <laughs> And uh, and it's you get noticed, and especially when you're wearing your energy dome. And I uh, put it on. I thought it was the coolest thing in the world. And I walked in to get breakfast, and my mom and dad said, "So you're going to wear that to school?" And I said, "Yeah, of course I am." <laughs> and said, "All right." And my uh, my parents were cool that way, so I 
walked out of the front door and my oh, my my bus stop where I uh, caught the bus to, to to school to my middle school was across the street and my parents would tell me they would just look out the window look out the window of the house and looking at me and just laugh and they said oh, uh, and they they said that cars would literally slow down as I was standing there they would just kind of like s- slow down to a stop and just look at me and then they would speed up again because I think they were scared about it. maybe there was well, radiation they, I mean they didn't know you were a kid and it was just some Someone, a man in a radiation suit. Well, I think they thought that was a radiation leak. Oh, my gosh. So I got to school, and uh, my friend also wore his outfit to school. We had the same. Now, that's a good friend right he there. He is a good friend. And so we, uh, <laughs> we uh, and Tony, if you're out there listening to the show, and we, uh, we, uh, we uh, got to our homeroom. We had the same homeroom. We, were, <laughs> we arrived oh with our oh yellow boy. radiation suit. And, uh, of course, we caused a big stir. Um, I guess I thought we were really cool, and everyone probably thought we were cool as we did, but... Uh, uh, we soon got the attention of our teachers and then kind of snowballed from there. And uh, we said that we were our outfits were causing a bit of a disturbance at school. Oh, and, no uh, doubt. And so we were told at that point to call our parents and our parents had to pick us up and haul us away. Take us out of school, <laughs> and uh, I couldn't come back until the next day, uh, minus the Devo outfit. And, and yet still... They remain your idols. Of course. Yes. I mean, dude, you got to love any band that gets you kicked out of school. That's right. And they did. So uh, maybe I could have made something of myself if, uh, if uh, you know, I didn't get out of school that one day. But uh, we'll find out. We'll need to bring that up later, Mark. Let's just finish drinking our wine here and let's uh, move on with the interview with Jennifer. You're not going to want to miss this. Well, Mark, we are here with uh, Jennifer. Th- that's right. Yeah. Uh-huh. We're really excited. And how are we doing? Hello? Jennifer? Are you talking Are you talking to me? I didn't know if I was supposed to talk or not. Hi. Hi. It's good to see It's good to talk with you. <laughs> good to talk to you, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, we're so excited to have you on the show. Uh, you are listening to The Wine Fellows. We have Jennifer Seminetti Bryan. She is the fourth woman and among only 40 or so people in the U.S. to ever attain the international title of Master of Wine. It's the highest wine title to achieve in the world. Uh, she has also co-authored a culinary textbook and is the author and host of five series on wine and spirits. Uh, more recently, uh, Seminetti Bryan has become a senior partner for Wine Ring, which we'll learn about more about in a bit. It's a new wine app that learns what you like, and don't like, and then makes recommendations based on your individual preferences. 
So, Jennifer, we welcome you to this very <laughs> special edition of The Winefellers. Welcome, Jennifer. Thank you. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here. Well, for those who uh, don't know, I, I've known uh, I've known uh, Jennifer for I guess like two or three years uh, through the Commandery de Bordeaux. It's a wine organization that we both uh, belong to, and uh, and I've got uh, uh, Jennifer's been able to impart some knowledge uh, 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 to me here and there, and she's very extremely knowledgeable about wine, and and that comes with becoming a master of wine. And Jennifer, it seems to me that. Uh, uh, becoming a master of wine is probably one of the more difficult tasks one could undertake, I'm thinking. Yeah, no, it's, it was, and it's getting more difficult all the time. <laughs> we don't make it easy for some reason. Yeah, it's a four-day exam, and you, it's, you have to identify 36 wines blind. Now, wow. I don't know if you've seen the movie Psalm. Have you seen it? Uh, you saw parts of it, yes. yes. <laughs> saw parts of it. Yeah, there's a new one out, too, which is pretty cool. But that's about the Master Sommelier exam, and they identify six wines blind, and they have to do it in front of an audience, which has its own, you know, ups and downs, because <laughs> you have to actually speak. But uh, with a Master of Wine, uh-huh. you're anonymous, so they don't know who you are. So oh, right, 36 wines blind, and then it's four days of exams on winemaking, viticulture, the business, the global side of the business, and uh, quality assurance, quality control. And if you pass that, which what the year I passed was uh, a 1% pass rate. Wow. So if, if you end up passing, um, then you have to write a research paper. And in the day that I took it, um, when I did it, it was 2008, you had to write a dissertation of 10,000 words in less than six months. So you had to prove or disprove some aspect of the wine industry that was going to be useful for the industry. And then, and only then, when you pass all those three things, you were you a master of wine. So many give up. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I believe that. And to, to me, the, the most amazing part about it is, is the blind tasting. I mean, I think um, uh, part of my difficulty with tasting wine is I'm pretty good, I think, of discerning wine, like the first two wines, three wines. And then my tongue goes into taste fatigue, and then I don't know <laughs> yeah. what I'm tasting. Um, and Everything tastes great after the third glass. Exactly. <laughs> and it's, it's a pretty amazing that you're able to taste so many wines and then distinguish them apart. Is this like a skill, like uh, shooting uh, free throws that uh, you kind of build up over time? Or something maybe you're Absolutely. born with. Or maybe you're born no, with. No, no, you're not. You're not. I have an identical <laughs> twin, so I know the answer to this oh. question. So, yeah, I am an identical twin, and um, through years of training, I've been able to, to do this. I can't hand my twin a glass and say, tell me what this is. Interesting. You know, the Chassagne Mont Rocher, Mont 1996. You can't do that. Right. Um, it's just like running a marathon. Like, your body may have the propensity, and you may have come from a long line of marathon runners. That's but right. If you ain't training, you're not going to run it. So well. if anybody can really do it unless you're a non-taster, which is uh, someone who has less taste buds on their tongue than the average person. And I think I dated a few of these. Well, so when you're when you're doing the tasting and I mean, how does like what are the nuts and bolts of, of like practicing of like you know just do you just line up a hundred bottles in front i mean a hundred bottles in front of you and just kind of just go through the ah, paces good, day good after question. day and kind of do this like from eight to ten in the morning no, every morning or actually, um <laughs> to be honest that's what i thought it was in the beginning i was going to as many blind tastings as possible oh, okay. so if you were doing a blind case and i was signing up for it but the the problem with that is you you need to associate 
um, you, you need to build up the synapses in your brain to associate certain flavors and certain stimuli on your palate to what the actual thing is, if that makes any sense. So it would be like trying to understand Pantone colors for a graphic artist, but you were never told what they were. So um, you'd say, oh, that's, that's red, that's yellow, that's green, but you don't know the exact Huh. That color. Wow. Okay. So, yeah. So, so how do you, how do you how yeah, do you, that? So it's it's like trying to explain colors to someone who can't see or correct. Wow. Yeah. It's it's kind of like that. I mean, we train our eyes from mm-hmm. when we're small. We we we're, we're, we start off with a Crayola box of crayons, mm-hmm. right? I guess so. That that'll uh, a small box. (laughs) That's perfect. Sixty-four box with the aquamarine and the teal and the blue and green. I mean, so we have to build up on that, but we never train our nose or our our palates for that. So we just kind of gloss over that and we go, yeah, it's good. Not good. That's all we got. <laughs> yeah, you know, and it's because of this very reason that you just brought up. Mark is wanting to start a kids' corner here in the Wine Fellers <laughs> to start introducing some of these concepts like colors, but wines mm-hmm. to uh, you know, uh, so, you know, I've got a cup, uh, two kids of my own. They'll be coming in, right, Mark? Uh, well, uh, <laughs> uh, legalities uh, approved. Yes. <laughs> start them young. I like it. <laughs> well, I, you know, the the other difficult part I find is that. Uh, when I'm tasting wine, there is obviously there has to be a connection between what you taste and then what you're saying you taste. There is a you're you're, you're connecting two things. You're connecting yeah. the, the taste of something yeah. and a description hmm. of of something you think you're tasting with a memory bank that's associated with that taste that is for you. And so you're absolutely right. Yeah, it's you're absolutely right. First, you have to figure out what you how you are responding to that stimuli, and then it's a language thing. Right. And so when someone says to me, I taste dirt, and I, you know, and I go, okay, what you mean by dirt, um, it's actually a textural thing. Like, I try to get people to describe more to me. Like, what is, what is it like? And people say, oh, it it tastes like chocolate. Mm -hmm. Um, So you're like, does it feel like chocolate or does it taste like dark chocolate, milk chocolate? Like, I try to get more information because that tells me the kind of language they're trying to speak on what their palate is telling them. Right. I think that's so. uh, I think that's a good point. So uh, you're you're taking somebody who says, "Oh, I think it tastes like berries." Well, that's that's a good start. And then you try yep. to break it down from there. Well, is it a raspberry? Is it a is it a strawberry? Right. Is it a? I mean, they're, oh, they're, let me tell you something. I was in a WSET class when it first started on early, early on in the early 2000s. And me and she she's now a master of wine, Jean Riley. Uh, her and I back then we weren't we, we, you know. She knew a lot more about wine than I did, but I would say I get I get raspberry, and she would say no, it's cherry, and I'd be like, oh really? It's red fruit, really? Like <laughs> to me, it didn't really matter as much that I got the exact fruit. Right. I just knew it was red. Well, it but, reminded me of something red versus black. Well, know? but to me that makes it so difficult because. When you're doing the blind tasting, I mean, you're being assume you're being judged by people who have their own ideas of what something tastes like, and oh boy. so uh, you're uh, you're. Ha- I mean, you have to. It's a, it's a sense of where you're agreeing on what a certain flavor tastes like. You right. and the judges, so not necessarily you're agreeing on what uh, whether there's a strawberry or, or not in the wine. You're agreeing on whether you can agree what strawberry tastes like in this. Interesting. Sense. 
Oh, sure. I mean, look at how artists do this with colors. I mean, at what, at some point, thousands of years ago, um, we all had to agree, maybe even hundreds of years ago, so it's not even that far. We mm-hmm. all had to agree what was red. Right. We called it red. We all had to agree what was blue mm-hmm. or shades of blue. And even then, we still kind of going, is that navy or is that black? Is that, wait, is that, and we still, we still kind of argue. Right. Over, certain colors um so it's no doubt if if that's more of a language thing and not what the wine tastes like it's not like it's about right and wrong Mm -hmm. it's about how you perceive it and there are some absolutes with wine um there are certain things you can measure Mm -hmm. so if you taste high alcohol in something Uh, well it's got 15 percent level of alcohol uh, yeah you're right yeah that's true it's it's only five percent oh you're right it's got (laughs) more alcohol in it well, so there are certain things you can measure. Well, so part of what you do is uh, as having uh, this, the, having a master of wine is as uh, part of your charge is you need to be an educator. Uh, and, and Absolutely. Talking about people about wine is part of what we're doing today. And then uh, another thing that you're doing is, is I'd like for you to tell me more about this. Uh, you have a new wine app called the Wine Ring. And I think from what I understand, it's a way to get people who are not as familiar with wine but know what they like. To uh to go on to the next bottle, choose and, and uh, the next bottle based on the stuff that they've already thought was pretty good. I think yeah, I think that's right. brilliant. Yeah, I'm very in, very uh, intriguing. How does that work? Yeah, and actually, we have ten masters of wine and master sommeliers that I've hired over the last few years, and we've been working on this for about five years now. We just kind of launched it last fall, um, and what it does, you know, how Yelp or Rotten Tomatoes, you look at their it's, a, it's like a recommendation engine, mm-hmm. right? So you right. look at Yelp or Rotten Tomatoes, and what that does is that looks at the entire universe and averages everybody's scores together. Right. And for for us, we, we thought that that left so much room for interpretation. So your 85 might be my 90. Right, sure. So there was just too much of a language barrier there. But really, what, all that mattered to us was that you love it, like it, <laughs> so-so, or don't like it. Right. And... So that was the, the only rating system that that's available. That's it. Mm, nice. Points or anything like that, unless you want to in your notes. But um, it's not assessment of quality in that respect. It's mm-hmm. about what you love, like, so, so, or don't like, your preferences. So instead of taking everybody's averages, what our system does for wine ring, it's just based on you. Okay. So, so if you love a Malbec, um, in you know, twenty dollars, you love. Um, I'm not. I don't know. I'm, I'm just throwing it out there. Mm-hmm. Um, you like some Saint-Emilion, You like Merlot. It, you know, it might recommend certain areas of wines that are in that kind of profile because we have lots of different um, profiles for wine, and it's not as simple as putting somebody in a bucket. So right. it's not like the Pandora, this sounds like Sting, this uh, sounds like Pink Floyd, this sounds like this. Right. It actually looks at the cross-section of what you like and don't like, and, and it figures out, okay, aha, I see the commonality here. Right. You know, so it, it figures out, and it just turns on what you like. It doesn't care what I think. It doesn't care what anybody else thinks. But the cool thing we can do is, let's say you, all three of us were going out to dinner. Okay. Uh, Sound, sounds like a fun time. Doesn't sure. that sound like a fun time? Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, it can make a recommendation based on all of our journals 
okay. on what we love, like, and so-so, and don't like. And it can make a recommendation uh, in that restaurant for a white we will like the best. Oh, so and so, or, uh, so we all uh, like that we can all agree on, that we can, we can tolerate. Yeah, yeah, That's cool. Most likely. But let's say it's Mark's birthday. If it's Mark's birthday, it can actually wait in his direction, and I'll drink anything. <laughs> so, that's a, so it's kind of an algorithm that kind of calculates yeah, depending on, okay. Absolutely. Yeah, so so that's what it does. We we want everything coming back to you. So if you love White Zinfandel, knock yourself out. Right. And you, know, if, and you know what? If you like Pinot Grigio and you like this particular style of, let's say, Pinot Grigio, we'll make recommendations off of that. But if you want to expand and go beyond that. We have certain suggestions and recommendations for you that are based on your preferences, based on the things that you liked or, or didn't like about these other wines that you put in. And it only takes a handful of wines, like maybe six. This is category. <laughs> this is awesome. I mean, why do yeah. not I not have this on my no, phone it's right now? A really now, good Mark. idea. <laughs> so, Jennifer, <laughs> so one question I have is when you are using um, uh, this app, Wine Ring, and you're going in and you're you're informing the uh, the app that you really enjoy this wine or you, maybe not so much this this other wine, I'd imagine that like if, if we went out for Mark's birthday, we'd all have a great time and maybe our, our mood would affect how we perceive the wine. So as someone who professionally has to uh, determine uh, kind of objectively how good a wine is, how do you keep those emotions uh, out of the decision-making process? So you're saying like, yeah, that, that, that is hard. That is saying. very hard to take, take your own personal preference out of assessing wine, which is what you're talking about. It seems, Yeah, it seems um, like doing, it would be difficult. I'm doing a wine competition. This is different than a wine competition. I'm, a wine competition, you're trying to assess the quality and give it a rating based on certain parameters. Like I have quality parameters in my head that I, I run through a checklist, like 12 different parameters as I'm tasting a wine. Mm -hmm. And I kind of like check off the, the boxes, right? right. But I, I still remember Tim Hanai. He's also a master of wine. I always remember him saying this. This is hilarious. He said, you know, I had, a, I think it was like Chateau Lafitte 1945, but it was with the CEO and he was the biggest jerk. Well, and, you know, if that wine was so terrible and that experience, it just literally left a bad taste in his mouth. <laughs> and a couple of weeks later, he had a white Zinfandel right. with a bunch of flight attendants in a jacuzzi hole. <laughs> that wasn't the best wine he right. had. Well, but, but Jennifer brings up a good point. I mean, part of when we drink wine, it's 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 in context. It's uh, you can't you can't divorce it from the wine that you're drinking from the experience that you're enjoying the wine no. in. And no, so, but what, what Wine Ring does is that it actually, it'll change with you. So let's say you liked that wine a few weeks ago, and then you rate it again. You're like, you know, I'm tasting this now, and I'm not on vacation. Right. This kind of sucks. I'm not on Santorini Beach. <laughs> this white wine on Santorini doesn't taste as good as exactly. I thought it did, um, and, and it, it'll change with you. Have, have you have you found any interesting find? I mean, have you, there's interesting findings that that have come up now that this uh, wine wine app's been out for a while. That when a person likes a certain wine, they might like another wine, and that and that's not like something you would have thought that would have happened. I got to tell you, the biggest thing that has surprised me so far is. People are drinking a lot of crap wine out there. I, uh, you know, I almost want to send them a note going, really, you can do much better. Here, have some suggestions. You know, you want to, you want to, I right. mean, and I'm talking about, I, I 
tweeted something today, and um, it's a picture, and I can't believe we have this in our system. And we have like <laughs> fifty-five thousand brands, and there's a, a bottle with a looks like a pinup girl just straddling a bottle. Oh, yeah, I saw that on uh, Twitter. <laughs> yes, yeah. Yes. And uh, I said, "Going, really good, really good." Of all the wines <laughs> out there. Yeah, exactly. Whatever happened to simple wine? Like, yeah, exactly. So, um, but it is interesting to see what people are drinking out there. What I'm also finding is like these early uh, users and early adopters, a lot of them are from local. So we'll get Virginia wines, Idaho wines, Michigan Mm. wines. So it's very interesting to see what people are drinking because if if it's not in our database, you know, we get flagged. Someone like me will get Mm. pinged. And goes, uh, ahem, you know, this wine's not curated. You have to, <laughs> right. you have to put this in the system. So, um, but there are some wines out there. You're like really blackberry, you know, certain blackberry wines that you know. Uh-huh. I mean, my mom. I mean, not not saying anything against people who drink, you know, blackberry wines and chocolate wines and sure. cheesecake wines. No, I have not had that. Yeah, I I have I have had cheesecake oh. wine. Um, it doesn't. <laughs> It doesn't quite taste like <laughs> traditional wine, um, but it's more like a Bailey's kind of thing. Oh, so, I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so it's it's different, but it's trying to take that preference hat off. Yeah, and taste that cheesecake <laughs> wine and try not to yak. And so <laughs> right. this is not really high quality. I would never drink it in a zillion years. I have to look at this objectively oh that's hard it's hard well that's why i think this 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 app is probably especially good for the uh, next generation coming up the millennials because they're more apt to drink uh wines from idaho and uh croatia and things that you might not uh associate with wines that we know and it's a good way to kind of move on from one uh varietal to another varietal in a different country and i think that i could see why that would be a positive thing there Yes, I agree with you. I think the there, there's lots of more experimentation. It's not just the top, you know, the top twenty percent represents eighty percent of the volume out there. I mean, I think that's pretty much what it is in the wine industry. But, right. but um, I think there's a lot more experimentation, and I also think the U.S. in other states other than California, Oregon, and Washington, and Virginia, I think they're waking up to the wine industry and how they can market locally. Well, Jennifer, this has been an absolute treat. Uh, we are so excited to have had you on our show. Uh, I've been talking about this all day because... Uh, I'm downloading Wine Ring right now, Mark. Yes, because it's... <laughs> because <laughs> if you're wondering why I'm not chiming in, I'm just... I, patiently waiting for this download to occur here this is awesome but jennifer we really appreciate it and uh and and please uh please uh agree to come on our show again and we'll have Absolutely. you and the next time we have you on i want to i'm going to ask you more about how you got into wine in the first place because i know uh like me it was not your first career so uh, that will be a, a question for a different time awesome cool. thank you thank you jennifer so much for being with us today oh thank you for having me this was a lot of fun thank you. take care I'm
I'm enraged down the lobby when the server finds and gives me a bug, a refund to souffle, pate, crevole, and ratatouille. Well, laying back on cruising wellness, it's a duty. Hands me reach for glottos, and the vanilla mantra, sedal, romanti, conti. Pitch you slow to morgo, lifting moots, and left in the Lorenzini. Feeling buzz, I need to get out, drop all over, take up a hurry. Driving too fast, top down sideways, rocks are off, okay, my Bugatti. Piper has a button, shin, and crook, and cuve, and a pair. I drive my speed up, sail fast, cast off the debeats, and zip big flunkies. Ripple, Cisco, Mad Dog, Night Train, Boots for Man, Samogan, Day. Got a book on tip queued up inside a voice, and no one kicked your speed. Cause I got Mark Silver on computer simulated universe. I'm like Samuel Harris, hit Chen, Grade, and Square. I'm a poser, Tito, Gangster, and I don't, don't want your pair. I'm like Samuel Harris, hit Chen, Grade, and Square. I'm a poser, Tito, Gangster, and I don't want your pair. I'm like a solar flare, your castle in the air. I'm a poser, Tito, Gangster, and a wine fell air. like a solar flare, your castle in the air. I'm a poser, Tito, Gangster, and a wine fell air. Check her name is Sam and Mello. My old friend Joy Hair Dead Dog Brother, he is known as the other one fella. Club, we rock it out, I order single malt up, but he's about whiskey. Yamaziki, Nika, Gushu, then we find some Habiki Centauri. Reesburg, Latas, and the Vinyl Mantra, Sejal, Romanti, Conti. Ripple, Cisco, Mad Dog, Night Train, Boots, Farman, Samook, and David. Like Samuel Harris, hit Chan, Grade, and Square. I'm a poser, Tito, Gangster, and I don't want your pair. I'm like Samuel Harris, hit Chan, Grade, and Square. I'm a poser, Tito, Gangster, and I don't want your pair. I'm like a solar flare, your castle in the air. I'm a poser, Tito, Gangster, and a wine fell air. I'm like a solar flare, your castle in the air. I'm a poser, Tito, Gangster, and a wine fell air. Cause I got Mark Super Gun Computer Simulated University.
Jared Casali is the co-founder and bass guitar synth player of the band Devo. They were ahead of their time, incorporating elaborate aesthetics into their live shows with combining uh, their music with visuals years before MTV existed. In 2014, Casali successfully launched the 50 by 50 winery brand. The winery itself sits on an estate in Napa and the celebrated debut vintage 2012 Pinot Noir from Sonoma earned 94 points from Wine Enthusiast Magazine. Mark and I are so thrilled today to be able to speak with Jerry. Jerry, welcome to this week's episode of The Wine Fellers. How you doing? <laughs> doing well, Jerry. Hey. Thank you. And uh, can we call you Jerry, or would you like to rather go by Gerald? Oh, it's okay. <laughs> okay. Well, we're so excited to have you uh, on the show. And I was telling uh, Joe at the beginning of the show, uh, I idolized Devo growing up. And when I when I say idolized Devo, I mean I really idolized Devo. And uh, and actually, uh, Joe, uh, I actually met Jerry when I was a. Uh, 13 uh, in the backstage of the uh, Atlanta Fox Theater uh, <laughs> cool. the Devo concert. So uh, it's uh, it's it's um, I've, I've followed the career for a long time, as most devotees do. They uh, most uh, people who listen to Devo, they started when they were young and they just didn't stop. And, and sometimes <laughs> people are surprised to hear that. But it's 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 a whole cult following of this group. So absolutely. So uh, so, Jerry, we are so excited to have you on the show. Um, so. In addition to Devo, you have launched a new winery brand. Is that right? Yeah, still a fledgling labor of love, but I'm I'm serious about it and uh, in the middle of it. About to release the 2014 Sonoma Coast Pinot Noir from 50 by 50 in June. Well, great. Um, I, and uh, like myself, your uh, favorite uh, wine varietal is uh, Pinot Noir, and uh, from what I've read, and so uh, it, it truly is a labor of love because Pinot Noir is a is a difficult grape to work with. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> so, no, wait, guys, guys, yeah, explain a little bit to me, fellas. What <clears throat> what makes that grape varietal so much more difficult than any other? It's well, you know, it's um, it's unforgiving. Mm. I mean, while it is a uh, you know a, a, a delicate and quote feminine grape, lower in tannins than the big Bordeaux grapes that everybody loves, like Merlot and Cabernet Sauvignon, Cabernet Francs, and mm. then on to Syrah. This the Pinot Noir, when it's right on it, it's great. That's and right. when something goes wrong. It's almost impossible to get it back in the corral. Wow! And I, I couldn't agree with you more. And I think, uh, and I know a lot of people, uh, and I respect those people. A lot of people do like fruit forward wines, uh, some of these California fruit bomb types wines, and certainly, and I like those on occasion yeah. too. But there's something about Pinot Noir that is, it's really delicate. It's uh, it's you have to hunt for flavors sometimes. But when you have a good bottle, 
And maybe, I, I mean, maybe there's maybe 200 good bottles of Pinot Noir I've had in my entire life that I just love to death. I mean, and I've had so many bottles that I open up and I go, ah, <laughs> oh, it didn't quite do it for me. And uh, right. it, you have to, re- it takes a different kind of person to, to really get a hold of Pinot Noir. Well, does, does the difficulty in producing <clears throat> the spot-on Pinot Noir, does it make it more, a more expensive wine to produce? It's one of the more expensive wines to produce, no doubt about it. Um, of course, when you're doing Bordeaux-style blends, that gets even more expensive because you've got more variables. You're really juggling. But um, also, there's a fudge factor there in flavor, though. But, um, <clears throat> you know, the Pinot Noir, you can't cut any corners mm. during, uh, you know, from the time it starts being grown to the time of the harvest and then during the fermentation, only top of the line processes will work. So, so, Jerry, how did you get into wine in the first place? I mean, sometimes people will describe that there was an epiphany, like something happened at one point in their lives and they were hooked forever. And uh, or some some people have different stories where they kind of grew up with a good wine around the house. So how how, how did how did how did you fall into it? Well. I certainly uh, don't have the story where I grew up with it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I grew up blue-collar in Ohio. Um, wine was basically something you heard about, and then when you had it, it was terrible. It was like, <laughs> you know, Two Buck Chuck, you know, sure. Logan David, rot, Night Train, Rot, rot Gut. <laughs> exactly. And, and you'd taste it and go, why do adults like this? Oh, my God. You know, I'll never drink wine. Exactly. You know. So so who, how did so, you... <laughs> yeah, go. No, no, how did you get anyway, to... Anyway, that's... <laughs> did, so did, did someone introduce good wine to you, or how did it happen? Yeah. yeah um, the first time I had any wine of any consequence was in college, and that was really due to befriending some kids who had come in from upper state New York who did know something about wine as parents had turned them on. You know, they were from uh, a more, you know, privileged socioeconomic background. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and we went to the state liquor store, which is the only place you could buy liquor in, in Ohio at the time. And uh, they bought a couple bottles of you know, lower-grade Bordeaux, but it was still decent. They knew what what they were looking for. And of course, when you're, you know, when you're young and you know nothing about wine, you taste something that's decent and it's a big revelation. And, uh, now did this, did, of course did, they, did the taste develop for wine as, as, uh, you were, uh, as Devo got more popular and you had more, uh, nickels in your pocket, you could rub together as, uh, well, the main thing that happened with, uh, with Devo, as uh, one success happened, then of course there was the entree into world travel um, for work. There was meeting people who, because they were successful and because they had grown up differently, were turning us on to wine, mm-hmm. and then moving to California, sure. which was wine heaven. Oh yeah, and and suddenly here we were. Uh, going to restaurants with young restaurateurs that were totally revolutionizing cuisine, 
and they championed California wine. So we're tasting all these wines from Napa and Sonoma and Central Coast, and and it, every day was a revelation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was it just my taste kept developing. You know, I like all young people. I probably first loved the the big fruit bomb wines and the the big in your face wines and the jammy you know big cabs and and then um jerry would you say that your tastes have devolved oh mark (laughs) no they didn't (laughs) that's the one thing that didn't devolve (laughs) that's so cool i never really really thought of the californian wine scene as being you know at one point it was in its infancy really Mm-hmm. Right and uh, and to just visit all these places, there try this, try that. That's mm-hmm. it's really cool. I hit it at the right time. It, mm-hmm. You know, um, what's the movie about the competition in France where the uh, bottle the, shock? Uh, <laughs> bottle shock. Right. Yeah, that's you know, awesome. You know, I moved to California right after bottle shock happened. Yeah, yeah, and. California wines were no longer a joke at that point, and they were just coming into their own, but they weren't valued in the rest of the United States yet, and um, they were cheap, (laughs) and you could drive up to Napa Valley or Sonoma and, yeah, get the treatment, the big friendly open treatment, uh, free tastings, the whole thing. Seems like a fantasy now. That's Yeah, that's Uh, right. You can't just walk into Harlan Estate... uh... Or at least I can't. <laughs> no, I, I remember the first vintage of William Selium Pinot Noir, which is now priced higher than most <clears throat> French Burgundies. I remember it like being like twenty bucks, and people were complaining about the price. Wow! And you you could, you had to make people try it. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so what happened is. Uh, California and Oregon Pinot Noir started to really create a style of their own. They weren't trying to be Bordeaux. I mean, they weren't trying to be Burgundies because <laughs> that's foolish because uh, climate and soil are different. But mm-hmm. they were they were nonetheless coming into their own as as a thing that was to be taken really seriously. And they were so good that you could forget about Burgundy which you did have to forget about because mm-hmm. I couldn't afford it. I want to travel back in time, guys, to what sounds like a much better place and time in this universe. That's right. I really like what I'm hearing here. Yeah. Well, you know, I, <laughs> I lucked out being yeah. the age that I am uh, before uh, climate change or weather manipulation or the combination of all of it took over. Uh, it was fantastic. So what are some similarities, would you say, between creating music and creating wine? Hmm. you got to love doing it because uh, there'll be no reward for a long time and possibly never. Sure, yeah. <laughs> um, also, um, it's organic. Wine is organic and making music is organic and... Uh, even when you play the same song that you loved and you wrote, you play it a year later, and you're getting something different out of it. And five years later, something else different out of it. Mm-hmm. 
because it, not everything's in flux and life and experiences keep, uh, you know, reshaping how you think. So wine's the same way, obviously. Let's say at three years out, it starts to taste good. Right. Two years later, it tastes even better. Then at 10, it's fantastic. Right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then at 15, it starts to fade, you know. Right. Well, we get it, and uh, and uh, that's uh, every, every wine. I, I'd imagine every year, it's it's a little different. It's like uh, the same uh, idea on. Well, it's a different product on based on the same theme. Mm-hmm. That's true. Yep, yep. You never, you can never get it again, even if it's the same rose in the same vineyard. Yeah, you know, done the same way. Mm-hmm. With the same new French oak, it doesn't matter. <laughs> right. Every year, nature throws a curveball. Now, are, uh, with this, are you? I know. I don't. Are you trying to be an, an avant-garde winemaker? And I don't even know when you uh, were at the height of uh, Devo if you were trying to be "quote unquote" avant-garde. Because uh, I know you were way ahead of your time. Well, we just were. I, I wasn't trying. You know, we, we were just doing what we could think of we, we were being original yeah <laughs> and uh, i mean and you we couldn't help it you were talking about the uh, uh capitalism consumerism the environment you were talking about that way in the uh in the mid 70s well, before a lot of people were yeah before any no bands were doing that then and i think that well that's it a, was conceptual it was all it was all on purpose it was it was all thought out yeah <laughs> we, I, we were literate educated people and we were using that and going beyond academia and and applying it to, to contemporary culture yeah and i think uh you know one of the things that came from the band is is the uh, the notion of de-evolution and uh, and i'm assuming you mean this kind of social unraveling of our framework uh and how that sort of bared out over the years unfortunately <laughs> Yeah, we didn't really want to be right. It was a warning. It was a you know satirical, smart-ass, artsy warning, and uh, and then it turned out to be true. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, I like to think uh, that that this you know if you want to make the world a better place, right? I think it can be done through music. I think that it, as as well as a fine wine. And so, like, are you, when you're in this wine business now, 50 by 50, are, are you trying, are, is, there, is there anything, any greater message you're trying to convey, or is it just, hey, I'm, I just want to make the best wine I can? <laughs> yeah, um, I am trying to make the best wine I could make in the face of uh, all the odds. And um, those those odds keep getting stacked up. And I must say, just like I loved making music, but the business was antithetical to yeah. the ability to make good music, so yeah. is the wine business pretty antithetical to being able to make good wine and get it out there. Because with just the way the business has been rigged with the three-tiered system right. and state-to-state laws sure. and the whole ambivalence towards alcoholic beverages even though it's legal it really uh, is an eye-opener you know there's nothing but obstacles and what i'm trying to do is make the greatest wine i can make for the best possible price 
I am not trying to market myself where it's a mediocre wine at a high price, like a lot of wines out there, because it's like the emperor's new clothes. Most <laughs> people don't know a lot about wine. They don't know really what they like. Mm-hmm. And the funny thing is, nine times out of ten in blind tastings, the big brands that have been marketed as the tent pole wines and the big names do not win in blind tastings. That's, that's right. That's true. Now, uh, is, how could we get your wine? Is it is it uh, is it on uh, is there a place we could buy it? Because I looked for it. And I don't know if it's sold out for the seasons, and, or, or you were just waiting for the new uh, the new well, year to come. Where did you look for it? Um, I'm trying. Did to you go to their website, Mark? Uh, that would be a start. <laughs> would be a start. <laughs> well, 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 of course, you can buy it from my website. Although, although with the laws out there, there's like. I think eight states I cannot ship to, right. which are listed on the website. Sure. Uh, if you try to order from one of those states, your order is canceled. Uh, but most states can you can order it, and and in California it's only in, you know, it's only in a few restaurants, you know, about a dozen restaurants, and a couple wine stores right now. Well, so Jerry, uh, uh, with our uh, time that we have left, I have a few more diva-related questions. And one question I, w- I ask because I don't see it uh, answered anywhere, and I'm trying not to ans- uh, ask you diva-related questions that you've answered before because I know how the energy dome, right. energy dome started with the uh, with the with the, I guess the light fixture or something that you you found or or a uh, yeah um, <clears throat> yeah there were several several antecedents as you say, but it was uh, I'll tell you what it was. I, from from the time I was like six and hated being sent to Catholic school, I would uh, just try to avoid contact with the nuns. So I would look <laughs> up at the at the ceiling in my school built in the 30s, which was an Art Deco influenced okay. school, mm-hmm. and the, I loved these milk glass ceiling lights that were hanging mm-hmm. on three chains, and they look just like the red hats because basically years and years and years and years later when it came time to actually make something to wear on our heads i based the whole design on that fixture but of course had to alter it that fixture had five tiers and the proportion of the human head worked (laughs) with the first four tiers yeah right you know so and then I had to bevel the sides because it was a vacuum plastic uh, process and, ha- and had to be able to slip off the mold. And, of course, we wanted red from the beginning. We, we knew we wanted red. And the reason we wanted red was because totally independent of that light fixture. In 1975, Bob Mothersbaugh showed me a comic book. I think it was Little Lulu, where she hates all the gossip and chatter and noise kids are making at her school. So she gets a cancellator helmet. Hmm. And the cancellator <laughs> helmet was basically, imagine um, a Mayan temple yeah, in red, right. worn on your head, but with the addition of earmuffs. Right. <laughs> I'm liking this uh, this idea. Pretty, <laughs> we thought that was pretty funny. W- wait, but, when I went to your show what? in Richmond, the uh, the Energy Dome was blue. 
Yeah, well, we had changed it at that point. Ah. Come on, Mark. <laughs> All right. <laughs> it was red, then it was blue. It was, it, well, it was red for 35 years. You had to change it. <laughs> but, but quickly, where did, the, where did the radiation suit came from? come from? That's what I didn't, couldn't find. Uh, uh, you know, one of the many menial jobs I had uh, was uh, as a, uh, a graphic designer for a a huge um, janitorial supply company, and they would get all these catalogs from all these suppliers, and um, I'd have to take the items that they had chosen and kind of extract them and redraw them into a catalog for that company. Okay. And one of the catalogs (laughs) was from Lakeland Industries, and it was uh, protective gear for for uh, workers who had to clean up dangerous chemicals and right. spray down warehouses. And there were the yellow suits, and they were really cheap. <laughs> Boy, the, when I wore wait. that suit as a kid, it, it was the hottest thing I'd ever <laughs> worn in my life. So, wait, Jerry, when, when, when these kids like Mark here were ordering these uh, yellow suits— were they are they actually like radiation grade suits or nah, <laughs> yeah. okay. they were pretty they were pretty no, thin but they yeah. were but they don't breathe but no they, they were really <laughs> really hot <laughs> they were supposed to protect any of the workers from getting chemicals sprayed on them and they will do that right but they they will make you lose five pounds a night <laughs> I guarantee it got that right. Oh, my gosh. First-hand experience. So anyway, right you know, I ordered it, and it was a pretty horrible suit, and we made some, a few alterations to it. And the, the big change came from tucking in the top and um, having elastic cinch belts made. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, uh, making a mandarin collar, like a stand-up collar, not a fold-down collar. And the big Devo logo at a 45-degree angle. Of course. Well, Jerry, thank you so much for coming on our show. It has been just a terrific time, and please come on again. This oh, is, Mark, I don't uh, want it to end. I know. I, uh, I have to say goodbye to my childhood hero, but uh, we, we will uh, check in with him again soon and see how his, how his wine is coming along. Thank yeah. you, Jerry. Jerry, so thank you so much for joining us today. All right. Well, thank you. You've been listening to another exciting episode of the Wine Fellers, North Carolina's only fine wine radio program. And I've had such a great time today, Mark. Me too, Joe. But the good news is, is that the fun can continue online. <laughs> You're absolutely right. Visit us online at thewinefellers.com, where you can learn more about today's program and listen to previous shows. See you next week. Songs and melodies change and change and sway, but they still stay the same. The songs that we sung when the dark days come are the songs that we sung when we chased them away. If I ever found a pot of gold, I'd buy bottles untold of the nectar of the vines, cause I'm gonna die. With a twinkle in my eye Cause I sang songs, spun stories Love, laughed and drank wine Tomorrow is another day